main prayer hall, inshallah, as we will be starting the program. Alhamdulillah, we are very honored and blessed to have our instructor, Mufti Muhammad Pasha, for our fiqh of fasting. Uh, just a formal introduction, Mufti Muhammad Pasha was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, Alhamdulillah, he completed his memorization of the Qur'an at his local masjid in Brooklyn. Thereafter, he continued his uh, education in Islamic studies. He traveled to South Africa where he completed the Alamiya program in 2017. After completing the Alamiya program, Mufti Muhammad Pasha enrolled in the IFTA program, which is specialization uh, in fiqh at the same institution, Darul Ulum Azadville, and completed the program in 2019. During his studies in South Africa, Alhamdulillah, he had the opportunity of benefiting and studying under the renowned, uh, under renowned scholars, such as Sheikh Al-Hadith, Mulana Fadlur Rahman Al-Azmi, uh, and Mufti Sa'id Mutara Sahib, amongst many other esteemed ulama. Upon returning from South Africa, he served as an instructor at Mashad Quba in Brooklyn for a few months before joining us here at Darus Salaam, where he serves as an instructor, as a Hadith instructor uh, in the Dorat al-Hadith, along with the head of the Darul Ifta, uh, while teaching other books uh, in the seven years. Uh, inshallah, he will be conducting today's very important and pertinent uh, topic about the fiqh of fasting. Uh, inshallah, you can share the link with your family and friends who are unable to join. Uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to maximize uh, this upcoming month of Ramadan. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it a means of forgiveness and mercy for all of us. Ameen, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Bismillah wa alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala ali Muhammad wa barik wa sallim. Subhanaka la ilmanana illa ma'allamtana innaka antal alimul hakim. رَبِّ اشْرَحْ لِي صَدْرِي وَيَسِّرْ لِي أَمْرِي وَاحْلُ الْعُقْدَةً مِّنْ لِسَانِي يَفْقَهُ قَوْلِي أما بعد فقد قال الله تبارك وتعالى في القرآن المجيد بعد نعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم شهر رمضان الذي أنزل فيه القرآن هدى للناس وبينات من الهدى والفرقان فمن شهد منكم الشهر فليصم ومن كان مريضا أو على سفر فعدة من أيام أخر يريد الله بكم اليسر ولا يريد بكم العسر ولتكملوا العدة ولتكبروا الله على ما هداكم ولعلكم تشكرون صدق الله العظيم وعن أبي هريرة رضي الله تعالى عنه أنه قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم من لم يدع قول الزور والعمل به فلا حاجة لله في أن يضع 
أن يدع طعامه وشرابه أو كما قال عليه الصلاة والسلام رواه البخاري All praise is due to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to send his perfect blessings and shower his perfect blessings on the beloved messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam so as we can see here the very nature of this talk uh, as we can see in the title the fiqh of fasting in the month of Ramadan is more is going to be more of an educational talk generally there are lectures that take place uh, before the month of Ramadan in terms of how to spiritually prepare for the month of Ramadan uh, however the nature of this will not be uh, a spiritual talk necessarily but it will be more educational but nonetheless the thing we have to understand is that it depends with what we, intention we are sitting here that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can make this a means of our spiritual growth as well and that is the beauty of our deen many a times people think about the subject of fiqh and fiqh is seen as mandates laws right a lot of these are very dry subjects right it's not as it's not like kitab riqaq those things that soften the heart right it's just pretty much straightforward laws right injunctions obligations right so people don't generally like hearing these sort of things but the thing we need to understand is that in fiqh and in study of fiqh there is a great level of spirituality that could be achieved and that is once we understand what the purpose of the study of fiqh is that at the end of the day the reason you're studying fiqh and the nature of fiqh is ma'rifatu ma'rahu wa ma'alayhi right that which you are entitled to that which is your responsibility and when we break that down your responsibility to who to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala right so when you understand that this is what allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants of me and this is what my master wants of me at all times Right, whether it's in prayer, whether it's the fiqh of prayer, whether the fiqh of fasting, whether it's the fiqh of i'tikaf, whether it's the fiqh of zakat, right? What it is, the fiqh is just one word, which is basically telling you what Allah subhanahu wa taala wants of you in that particular action, how He wants it, where He wants it, when He wants it, right? And when a person truly loves Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then this is the best thing he can study because the being that he loves he knows exactly what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants right so even in the educational aspect you can find a great deal of spirituality right that's the beauty of our deen that education can be heavily integrated with spirituality right a lot of the times people they can sit in an educational talk which is just information but all they get out of it is information right and even if they're studying something religious right we know there's so many people that study religious sciences but they're non-muslim 
right? You can take the education from it, and you can take the information from it, but unless you actually know and have a purpose of why you're studying that, then the spirituality is never there. You understand? So, the niya of studying fiqh, and here specifically the fiqh of fasting, is so that I know in which manner, how am I going to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to my fasting? Right. So that is the sort of intention we should sit with. <clears throat> and inshallah, then we can have this in any, in, in any field. We have a lot of students here in any subject that you're studying. Right? Education can be integrated with spirituality if you have that correct uh, purpose and intention behind the education. Okay. So here we'll be discussing uh, fiqh of fasting. There are a couple of quyud uh, here, a couple of uh, qualifications in this title, just so we know exactly what is going to be discussed in this. Right. So it's the fiqh of fasting. I was just emphasizing that that we're not going to go too much into the spiritual aspect, but at the end of the day, it is an ibadah, it is an act of worship, so there's going to be uh, a little bit, but that's not the core discussion here. Then it's the fiqh of fasting in the month of Ramadan. Okay, uh, Two things to note there, fasting means we're not going to discuss everything else in the month of Ramadan. Obviously, there's a lot of other acts of worship, for example, i'tikaf, Right? That's not going to be a part of the dis this discussion. Um, a lot of people pay zakat. That's not going to be a part of this discussion. Um, even different acts in Ramadan, like for example, taraweeh, that's not going to be in this discussion. Um, and then in the month of Ramadan, we're trying to restrict it to the fasting as far as it pertains to the month of Ramadan. There is fasting, obviously, outside of the month of Ramadan, so we're not going to talk about optional fasting. We're not going to talk about other types of wajib fasts, but specifically fasts of the month of Ramadan. Okay, so that's just so we have a more clear idea of what's going to be discussed. Um, here, I just want to share this in the beginning. Um, this is the medium through which we will be taking questions. Um, of course, the questions will be all the way at the end of the uh, program. The reason I'm sharing it now is because some of us, uh, throughout the course of the lesson, we may have questions arise, and some of us, maybe we forget the question, which is why we can't really wait till the end to submit it. So um, I'm just sharing this now. You can use the QR code, or you can just join at slido.com uh, and put in the code. But this will be again repeated at the end. So uh, regardless of when you submit it, we'll only take a look at it at the end, the questions at the end. I would still suggest that you wait uh, until the end, if you can, to submit your question, because a lot of your questions may already be answered throughout the course of the discussion, inshallah. Okay. Um, so we won't take any verbal questions. All the questions will be uh, through this medium, inshallah. All right. So there are a couple of discussions that we have to go through uh, in, in uh, terms of the fiqh of fasting. So obviously the first thing is what is fasting? That's the, the big question there. Um, and then it's going to be divided into uh, five more discussions after that. So intention, the do's, the don'ts, nullifiers, and then the FAQs. Um, nullifiers will be one of the more lengthy discussions because that's really uh, where the fiqh is at. Um, intention and do's and don'ts. Uh, all, a lot of these discussions are often overlooked, but uh, we'll try to do justice to each of them, inshallah.
So the first thing we want to understand is fasting, right? So the, the Arabic word for fasting is psalm or siyam, right? So the definition, the literal definition of psalm means to abstain or refrain, okay? And this is one thing you'll find in any act of worship. You will find that literal meaning uh, show its face in the actual uh, religious action. So to s abstain and refrain, you're going to find that in the act of fasting. Okay? So the legal definition is to abstain from any consumption or intercourse from true dawn till sunset accompanied by the intention of fasting. All right, so every, or a lot of these words are uh, qualif qualifiers here. Right? So abstain from any consumption or intercourse. Okay, from true dawn. True dawn is what we normally know as subh sadiq right? Uh, subh sadiq uh, which is when Fajr time comes in, till sunset. Okay, so a lot of the times we may not accurately portray this. A lot of the times when we speak to non-Muslims or other people, we say from you know from dusk till dawn. It's not from dusk till dawn, right? Uh, so, or sorry, from sunrise to sunset. A lot of the times we use that term. It's not sunrise to sunset. Sunrise is much later, right? It's true dawn till sunset, okay? Accompanied by the intention of fasting, okay? So that's uh, necessary because if you abstain, you do the rest of it. Uh, you abstain from consumption or intercourse from true dawn till sunset, but there's no intention of fasting there. A lot of the time this happens to many of us uh, just because we're so busy in work, right? We just don't eat. We forgot to eat. We forgot to drink so many things we were doing nonstop. It's not considered fasting, right? Uh, unless you have the intention of fasting. Now, there is a cutoff time for the intention of fasting, specifically for the fast of Ramadan. Uh, so we'll get into that in the discussion of intention. Uh, but now the question is, so we know what it is, but now the question is, upon whom is it obligatory? So it, the obligation of fasting is upon every Muslim who is sane, mature, meaning in, in an Islamic sense, uh, baligh, Healthy and a muqim. Muqim meaning a resident, which is the opposite of a musafir. He has not taken a, uh, a shari journey. Okay, so every Muslim who is sane, baligh, healthy, and a muqim. All right, so if you're insane, it's not obligatory upon you. If you're immature, meaning you're not baligh, it is not an obligation upon you. But however, a lot of the times, especially in our cultures, we try to have little kids, uh, we try to encourage them to fast. Although it's not an obligation upon them, it is good to get them in, into the habit before it becomes an obligation. We know this to Rasulullah wasallam's teaching on salah as well, right? Where Rasulullah is already commanding to teach your children salah before it even becomes an obligation upon them from the age of uh, seven and ten, right? So it is uh, good to teach them, but it is not an obligation upon them. Healthy and muqim. Health. Uh, uh, when it comes to the issue of health and whether a person is a musafir or not, these are two which Allah Subhanahu wa Taala uh, explicitly addresses in the Quran, in the verse that I recited in the beginning. فَمَنْ كَانَ مَرِيضًا أَوْ عَلَى سَفَرٍ. Okay, if you're sick. Or you are traveling, then you can make those up on a later date. A immature person, a, ba a, a person that is not baligh, he never has to make up those fasts, right? So a a person that is sick or a person that is a musafir, he doesn't have to take uh, perform the fasts during the month of Ramadan, but he can make he has to make it up on a later date. 
Right, so you must undertake the shari'i journey prior to true dawn in order to be excused from fasting. This is one thing a lot of us neglect. Right? It's not just, you know, if you're going to take a journey that day, you don't have to fast. If you have already undertaken the journey, meaning you have left your home before the obligation of fasting came in, which is at true dawn, then you are excused from fasting. Or if you're already on a journey at that time, Okay, but if you're already at home, and most of us are probably at home at that time, even if we're going to take a journey later on in the day, you are already obliged to fast. You understand? So, in order to be excused, you have to be in the state of safar, a shari journey before true dawn comes in. If you are not, then once true dawn comes in, you are already obliged to fast. Okay. Um, as far as the sick individual is concerned, one who is sick will be expected to make up the fast the missed fast himself once he recovers. So why did I put this condition of himself? Because uh, a lot of people, they have this misunderstanding uh, from the concept of hajjul badal, right? That in hajj badal, uh, if a person is too sick to perform the hajj, then somebody else can perform it on their behalf. Fasting is not something you can do like that. So if somebody was too sick to do it themselves, nobody else can perform it on their behalf. There is another concept of fidya, uh, that we'll discuss ahead. But the individual, if the fasting is going to be observed, then he has to perform it himself. If it is a terminal illness that renders one incapable of fasting, then fidya must be given for the missed fasts. Okay? If it's such a, per a person that it has such an illness that there is no hope of that individual uh, you know, getting better to such a state that they can actually uh, perform, the, perform the fast of Ramadan, then in that situation, uh, a fidya has to be given. Um, for this year, uh, inshallah, the, the uh, infograph will be shared. Uh, but for this year, the minimum uh, fidya will be $7. Right? So um, the fidya for fast, many of us are probably familiar with it. But for each fast, you have to give the minimum, minimum fidya, which is $7. Right? Um, one thing I want to pause and speak about here a little bit is when we're talking about a person that has such a terminal illness that renders one incapable of fasting, this means that the person cannot even fast one day of the month of Ramadan. Right? Uh, why I'm saying this is because sometimes you have individuals uh, which is interesting because sometimes they can't fast in the month of Ramadan, but then you'll see them observing the nafl fasts, right? So for example, Ashura, they'll fast it, right? They're super elderly, uh, but they won't fast in the month of Ramadan, and then they'll fast Ashura, or for example, uh, sometimes the 15th of Sha'ban, because these are single days. And then when you ask them, why are you fasting on those days, if you can't even fast your fadl fast, well, they say, well, I can't fast 30 days at once. This is just one day. It doesn't affect my health as much. Right? Um, that is incorrect. Right? Because if you can even fast one day at a time, you will fast one day at a time. Okay? If the issue with the individual is their sickness is such, and this is very common for people that have in, uh, you know, blood pressure issues or uh, issues of diabetes, where they can't fast consecutively every single day. Maybe the first day they could manage it. The second day, okay. But the third day, then it starts to have adverse effects on their health sometimes. So 
then if they could make it past the first day, then fast every other day. Right? At least 15 fasts you get done in the month of Ramadan. And then after that, fast one day a week for the rest of the year. Right? So it doesn't affect your health too much. If you can manage to fast, you have to fast. Right? This is if a person can never fast. He does not have the capability in the future to fast. Right? That's how bedridden this individual is. That's how incapable this individual is. Right? So a lot of us have this misunderstanding, oh, because I can't fast the whole month, in 30 days consecutively, that's why I'm just not going to fast. But I'll fast that one day here, one day there. You can't do that. Those are not obligations. This is obligation. Understand? So uh, this is just one uh, point. Uh, one thing to also note is that if a person did give the fidya, and then it so happened that they got better, and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave them cure, and then they... Uh, they got better and now they're capable of fasting, but they already paid the fidya, then they, that fidya will become sadaqah nafal, it will be voluntary sadaqah, and then they will have to actually perform the fast themselves. Okay. So that's on the issue of fasting itself. Uh, next we'll speak about intention. Um, so intention in Arabic uh, is called niyyah. The intention to fast a day from the month of Ramadan must be found before Dahwatul Kubra. Okay. Dahwatul uh, Kubra is mentioned here that Dahwatul Kubra is, I mean, loosely you can translate it as midday. Although in our Islamic concept, there are two concepts that are often terms as midday. One is Dahwatul Kubra and another time, which we commonly understand as, as Zawal. Right. Um, that time is also termed as midday. But the difference between the two is zawal time, which is the time uh, right before Dhuhr comes in, which we commonly term as the time before Dhuhr comes in. Um, that is the midpoint between sunrise and sunset. But this is not the midtime between sunrise and sunset. This is the halfway point between true dawn and sunset, right? which would be a couple of hours earlier. Okay, so that means Dahwatul Kubra will actually be a couple of hours earlier uh, than uh, the Zawal time. Right, so just to give you an example, so the halfway mark between true dawn and sunset. Uh, so, for example, if true dawn is at 5 or 4.50 a.m., right, uh, meaning that's when Fajr time comes in, and sunset is 5.50 p.m., then how many hours is that? 13 hours, right? So 13 hours slashed in half is six and a half hours. So add six and a half hours to the true dawn time and you get Dahwatul Kubara time, which is six and a half hours added to 450 is 11.20 a.m. So before 11.20 a.m., you have to have your intention in. Why? Because this is the entire portion of the fast, right? True dawn till sunset. At least more than half of that has to have the intention, right? If you pass true dawn time, or sorry, if you pass Dahwatul Kubra and you still have no intention of fasting, then the majority of the time was void of any intention. Okay. So at least more than 50% of that time of the fast from true dawn till sunset has to be accompanied with the intention of a fast. Okay. Um, one point to note here is a general niyyah of fasting will suffice. 
Okay, what does it mean a general niyyah? You don't necessarily have to have in your intention that I am fasting for the month of Ramadan. If you just have a general niyyah that I'm fasting tomorrow, that will suffice. Right? Specifying the type of fast is not necessary. This is specific for these types of fast, the month of Ramadan, because these days have already been stipulated for the fast of Ramadan. Right? When it comes to uh, other fasts, like for example, some optional fasts in other days in the year, then those, you, a lot of the times you have to stipulate. Why? Because those days, for example, let's say, you know, the fifth of Safar, right? You can fast anything on the fifth of Safar, right? So you have to specify beforehand what fast you are doing. But in the month of Ramadan, it's already through the Sharia been stipulated, right? So even if somebody hypothetically decides that, you know what, uh, tomorrow I know is the third of Ramadan, but I'm going to keep some sort of nafal fast on that day, it doesn't matter. It would automatically be the fast of Ramadan because that's already been stipulated, right? So you don't have to specify the type of fast, okay? Uh, verbal expression is not necessary for the validity of niyyah. Right? So you don't have to say it. A lot of the times, you know, we find in like these calendars and things like that, نَوَيْتُ أَنْ أَصُومَ غَدًا مِنْ شَهْرِ رَمَضَانَ These sort of uh, sentences. It's okay. If you want to do it, you can do it. Um, the only people I would really recommend to continuously, you know, verbally express it is somebody who has, you know, a little bit of doubt. Maybe he's thinking, oh, you know, did I forget to make intention? Did I not? So those sort of people, it's better they just verbally express it so they get that out of their head, right? But generally, uh, you don't really have to uh, make a verbal expression of the niyyah. Uh, one thing to note is that niyyah, again, is something in the heart. Right. So as long as you have the intention in your heart to fast the next day, then that is sufficient. Many of us in our normal day-to-day -day activities that we perform in the month of Ramadan, especially, for example, things like taraweeh, right, is already showing what? You intend to fast the next day. Right? So a lot of our actions, even something as simple as, for example, me setting the alarm for suhoor, right, that already shows what? I intend to wake up for suhoor to fast. Right? So a lot of these things already have this understanding of an intention to fast anyway. Um, but if somebody has issues with, you know, for example, waswasa and things like that, that sometimes they're doubting themselves, uh, then fine, it's better they just verbally express it. Right? So they, they can get rid of that uh, issue. All right, so next uh, we'll speak about the do's. Right? So the mustahabbat, meaning the things you should be doing in the month of Ramadan. Uh, so these are things that are not conditional for the validity of the fast, but they are definitely matloob, meaning they are desirable, they are things you should be doing. Uh, one is tabiyitun niyyah. So as we mentioned to you, you can make the niyyah for the validity of the fast anytime up to dahwatul kubara. Right? But the best thing to do is have the intention to fast the night prior to the actual fast. Right? To have the niyyah the night before you're going to fast, uh, that is mustahab, it is desirable, it is good to do that. Another mustahab act is partaking in suhoor. Right? So you don't have to do it for the validity of the fast, but it is something that is uh, mustahab. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam encouraged this, uh, تَسَحَّرُوا فَإِنَّ فِي سُحُورِ بَرَكَةً 
Rasulullah had mentioned there's a lot of blessings in suhoor. So even if you can't have a whole meal, it's good to just have something to you know attain the reward of that hadith. Um, next, delay suhoor and break the fast immediately upon sunset. Right? So you don't have to... One thing we have to understand here is we should show our uh, dependency to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? We don't want to show Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that I don't need this, I don't need that, right? How do you show that dependency? That you try to have the suhoor as late as possible and you try to break the fast as soon as you get the opportunity. That you're grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the bounty and the blessing that He has allowed you to break the fast, right? Some people, they want to act, you know, like, okay, I can handle more, this is nothing, don't worry, I'll eat iftar an hour later, two hours later, right? I'll eat it after taraweeh, right? This sort of display is not even liked by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? You should show that you are uh, grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He has given you this ability to break your fast, and He has given you, for the time He has allowed you to eat, you should take that benefit and uh, continue to eat until as late as possible for the suhoor. Break the fast with dates. If dates aren't available, then water. This is also encouraged by Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam that you should fa you should break the fast uh, with tamar. And if there is no tamar, if there is no dates, then fabil ma fainnahu tahurun that it is pure. Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam also himself he used to do it, and he used to encourage others to do this as well. Uh, next is a very general sentence there Engage in general good deeds in abundance right? And then recite Quran in abundance Supplicate to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in abundance Especially at the time of iftar This is also something that is established through the hadith uh, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa If I'm not mistaken it's a hadith of Tirmidhi uh, Where Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa had mentioned Thalathatun la turaddu da'watuhum that there are three individuals whose dua is never rejected by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and then one of those individuals is mentioned as-sa'imu hatta yuftir some narrations mention hina yuftir right so there is a little bit of a difference of opinion but as-sa'im um, meaning a fasting person until he breaks his fast so that entire time you are fasting you are falling into this category of a person whose dua is being accepted right so throughout the day as much as you can try to make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um, and then some and some narrations hina yuftir at the time of iftar right at the time of iftar specifically uh a person's dua is accepted. Uh, I want to again pause a little bit here. This is often the most, I would say, the most neglected part of a person's fast, the mustahabbat. Right? A lot of us just focus on what? Listen, just tell me what's going to break my fast. That's it. Right? We're not really thinking of activity during the fast. Right? This is one problem we face where although, yes, for the fast to be correct, the main idea is what? Abstain from things that are going to break it. But when you actually look at the description of the fast of Rasulullah and the Ramadan of Rasulullah it's not really talking about that. It's talking about all the extra things he would do. Right? And that's one thing I feel like we're neglecting quite a bit. Right? We're just so focused on you know, just getting through the month without having my fast broken, which is good. Right? And that is, well, the bare minimum. But we're not actually getting as much as we can out of it because we're not 
you know, we're not really increasing our tilawah too much, our adhkar too much, our salah too much, right? We just pretty much do whatever we are told to do, whatever we're mandated to do, and then pretty much it's sort of like we're dragging our feet through the month, right? And that's where we're losing out a lot. Right? If you see the description of Rasulullah that you know, كان أجود الناس Rasulullah was already the most generous of people. وكان أجود ما يكون في رمضان. And he would be the most generous. So the most generous person would be the most generous that he could be in the month of Ramadan. Right? So he would increase in everything. It was activity. It was a month of activity. Right? A lot of the times we're losing out. A lot, I mean, just think about it. We're going to work. Then a lot of the times our idea, okay, I'm going to come back. I'm going to pray my salah. I'm going to do this, that. And I'm going to sleep all the way until it's time for iftar. Right? So you're losing a huge chunk of valuable time in the month of Ramadan because we don't have this idea of activity. It's supposed to be activity. Right? You're supposed to be doing more. So this is where I feel like a lot of people are losing out, uh, which is why people are not really capitalizing on the month. Uh, one thing that we, an uh, 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 easy way to understand this is fasting at the end of the day, the crux of fasting is physical abstinence to facilitate for spiritual indulgence. You understand? So we are trying, physical abstinence means what? Stay away from all of these physical pleasures. Right? So eating, drinking, right? any sort of sexual activity, all of that, stay away from that. But what's the purpose? The purpose is to increase spiritually. Right? A lot of the times we're just physical abstinence, spiritual abstinence. We're not eating, drinking anything, but we're not really doing any good deeds either. Right? The whole idea was to increase in the good, right? to increase in the spirituality. That was sort of the purpose of it. That's why in the hadith uh, that I mentioned, what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mention? That, uh, or what Rasulullah sallallahu mentions that, that that individual that does not leave out sinful speech and sinful actions, then... Allah doesn't need you to leave your food and your drink right? Which tells you what? The purpose was not for you to leave food and drink Just to leave food and drink You were supposed to grow spiritually right? So if you are still suffering spiritually Meaning you're still involved in sin While you're fasting You're still involved in sin right? uh, You're still involved in speaking sin Acting upon sin while you're fasting, then you're not, you're losing the plot. You're not getting the point of it, right? Allah's purpose of fast was not starvation. He doesn't want mass starvation in people, right? No, He wants people to grow. Shawaliullah Dahlawi, rahimahullah ta'ala, in his Hujatullah al Baligha, he often talks about this concept that may be a little bit strange for a lot of us, uh, but he often talks about this concept of the ain't. Angel, angelic half of the human being and then the animalistic half of the human being. Right? So the human being has these two parts where he is angelic, meaning he has great potential of good and spirituality. But he also has the animalistic half, which is not to necessarily be negative, but he does have carnal desires. 
right? Meaning he wants to eat, he wants to sleep, he wants to drink. These are animalistic qualities, right? And the human being at the end of the day is a type of animal in a sense. So he has these natural tendencies. The purpose of the fast is to emphasize the angelic ones and sort of subdue the animalistic, right? Which is why one of the animalistic qualities is what? That the person has shahawat, he has sexual desires. Rasulullah advice for somebody that has overwhelming sexual desires is what? Fast. Why? So you can subdue the animalistic qualities and hone in on your angelic qualities. Right? So this is something that, and what is the quality of angels? They don't eat. They don't sleep. Right? And that's honing in on that. In the month of Ramadan, it's what? Less sleep. No, no eating. There's no you know, sexual desires amongst angels. Right? So it's emphasizing in those qualities and really honing in on those qualities. Right? I mean, you're, the rest of the month you have to feed your, your physical body. Right? So this month, the, the idea is really feed your soul, feed your spirituality. Um, so this is one thing I feel like is often neglected. Um, so the best thing, personally, I would say it's not really something that's over the top. You don't have to necessarily sit there and just you know, recite Qur'an the whole day. That's great if you can. But if you can't, one thing I would say that helps a lot of people, just in general, not only in adding more good, but even helps you staying away from evil, is carrying around the tasbih. Right? Carry it around and just continue to do tasbih. Right? Whether it's salawat, whether it's istighfar, whether it's hamd, whatever it is. Why? Because if you're, if you're continuously remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then it becomes very difficult to fight with somebody at that same time. Or if some haram comes in front of you and you're continuously making tasbih, then why are we doing sin? Because we're unmindful of Allah. But if you're in continuously in remembrance, then automatically it stops you. Right? And it's not something that's over the top. It's very easy. Right? Get a tasbih and continue to do it. Right? Do it throughout your day. You can do it without wudu. Obviously, it's better to have wudu, but you don't have to have wudu for it. You don't have to be in the masjid for it. You can be in your workplace. You could be anywhere and just continue to do tasbih. Right? It'll increase a lot of reward for you and at the same time stop from the next category, which is the don'ts. Right? It'll naturally stop you from a lot of those things. So the don'ts here is... Uh, We'll just go through this category uh, quick. Chewing on gum or non-edibles like paper, plastic, rubber, etc. Uh, brushing one's teeth with toothpaste, right? So these are makruhat, meaning these are things that are not going to nullify your fast, but they are disliked. The main reason a lot of these things are disliked, uh, the, the three on the bottom is more of a spiritual issue. But the, the uh, broader category on the top is uh, it's because you're pretty much putting your fast on the brink of jeopardizing it, right? You are chewing something, which is very dangerous because at any time it's very possible that something could go down your throat. Um, brushing one's teeth with toothpaste. Technically, if you don't swallow it, it doesn't break your fast. But you're playing a very tricky game here because, as we know, a lot of us, when we're you know, brushing our teeth, something can go in, right? So it is going to be considered disliked. If the toothpaste goes down, your fast is broken. To taste any article of food without necessity, okay? Tasting. So although you're not swallowing it, but tasting without necessity, right? Generally, there's a very common exception that is mentioned that, oh, if a woman has a very you know, ill-tempered husband, then technically she could taste the food to make sure the husband doesn't complain about the food. This is not a permission for husbands to be ill-tempered, right? This is 
Alhamdulillah, I don't think anybody has that crazy of a husband at home that's going to, you know, flip the table because there's less salt, right? So this is not permission for the husband to be ill-tempered. This is if, if you're in such a drastic case, then you have permission to taste it but spit it out, right? For, for men generally, I mean, you don't really have this case where you have to necessarily just taste something, okay? Acts of intimacy if one doesn't have control. Acts of intimacy means, for example, something maybe innocent like holding hands or even kissing as long as a person has control over it, right? If it's going to escalate, then it could become problematic because if there's actual you know, uh, sexual interaction, then the fast will actually break, okay? Uh, but if somebody has control over it, then it's not even considered disliked. Okay, if somebody, if it's something as innocent as, for example, a kiss on the cheek or whatever, and you're leaving, and there's really no fear of anything escalating, then you can do that. That's not a problem. It's not even considered disliked. But if it can escalate, then this is you're going into that very uh, dangerous category, which potentially could lead to your fast breaking. Uh, gathering one's saliva in the mouth and swallowing it to quench one's thirst. Okay, so uh, to do this intentionally is going to be considered disliked. Uh, any act that would weaken the person, so it's supposed to be weaken, the person and potentially jeopardize the fast, right? So this is a more general category. For example, donating blood, excessive exercising, these sort of things, if you fear that it could very much weaken you physically and then potentially jeopardize your fast, right? Um, if you want to, I know a lot of people, they like to play sports because they're just trying to pass the time until iftar. If you want to do something like that, be a little bit wise. Maybe try to play it right before iftar, right? Not immediately before because you should, you know, reserve some time for dua, but, you know, early enough that you can get your dua in, but obviously you're going to be thirsty after playing sports or whatever, and iftar is just a couple of minutes away, so it's not really that uh, detrimental. But if you're going to, you know, play and exercise all the way early in the beginning of the day, then you have a whole fast ahead of you, right? That is really, uh, you know, uh, jeopardizing that uh, your fast at that point. Being excessive when gargling or cleaning the nose with water. So these are things you may have to do anyway, for example, for wudu or for ghusl, right? So you can't be excessive. So a lot of the times, you know, a lot of us, we may like to, you know, be a little bit exaggerative when we're gargling uh, our, you know, our throat. So um, in the month of Ramadan, you should, you know, try to abstain from that uh, because there's obviously that risk of water going down. Uh, so now the more spiritual ones are, for example, sin in general. Any type of sin in the month of Ramadan, as I mentioned to you in the hadith, right? If you're going to continue to sin, then you sort of lost the point of the fast in the first place. Quarreling, right? This is something, it's actually very interesting that Rasulullah specifically addresses this in hadith, which tells you how aware he was of people's behavior. Forget about fasting. A lot of people, if they miss one meal, there's a whole term for it, right? Hangry, right? You're hungry and then you're angry, right? Because that's how people are naturally. When they're deprived of food, then naturally these things start to happen. They start to get aggravated. They get angry. They get frustrated very easily. Rasulullah was very aware of this, right? So specifically mentioned in hadith that if a person's trying to quarrel with you, then tell him that, that I'm fasting.
economy. Um, complaining of thirst and hunger, this is just, you know, it ends up, you know, complacency, this ends up being, uh, it shows uh, to, ingratitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right. Nullifiers is uh, more of a core discussion here. Um, so we don't have too much time, so I'll try to go through this uh, quickly. There are principles when it comes to nullifiers, right? So a lot of the times we're just given a big list, right? And nobody's really memorizing that list. So every single Ramadan, it's the same question, right? Does this break my fast? Does this break my fast? So there are principles that the jurists have come up with uh, or they have studied and they have formed in order for a person to understand what is going to nullify and what isn't going to nullify your fast. So there are three principles that are considered. Number one, valid substance. Number two, valid passage of entry. And number three, valid cavity. Okay. Um, valid substance means the thing that's going in. Okay. If that has to be valid, number one, to break a fast. Number two, uh, valid passage of entry, meaning how is it entering your body? And then number three is where is it ending up? Okay. Uh, so valid substance, there's two things you have to look at uh, to see if it's a valid substance. Number one, does it have discernible body? Okay, uh, meaning is it a solid liquid gas that is discernible that you can see it, right? Uh, and number two, is it avoidable or not? Okay, so if it is it has a discernible body and it goes in, it can break the fast, provided the other two conditions are found. Okay, uh, discernible body. This then answers the question of oxygen. Oxygen is going in all the time, but it doesn't have discernible body. You understand? So, which is why you will never break your fast, no matter how much you know natural oxygen you're just taking in. And number two, it doesn't even fulfill the second condition. It's not avoidable, right? Where are you just going to sit in a vacuum-tight space, right, to observe your fast? No, it's not avoidable, right? Sometimes you have things that have discernible body, but they're not avoidable, so they won't break the fast. Like we'll see some of these uh, non-nullifiers. For example, uh, maybe you're working at some sort of construction site and there's a lot of dust, so it has discernible body, but there's no way you're going to be able to avoid it, right? Because it's all over the place. A lot of the time, another example is when it rains. When it rains, there's vapors, right? Sometimes when you see the mist, you can see it. It has discernible body, right? But you can't avoid it. Right? So even if technically when you're walking and you inhaled some, uh, because not intentionally going to try and uh, uh, you know, inhale it, but because it's unavoidable, it will not break your fast. Okay? So that's as far as valid substance is concerned. Then passages of entry. There are 10 that the jurists have mentioned. These are passages of entry. Not all of these are valid passages of entry. Okay, these are just the list of passages of entry, the ways that things get into your body. Mouth, nose, ears, eyes, the female private part, urinal passage, anus, uh, deep head injury. Right? So this is not a natural passage, but if you, know, you get a head wound, then it is possible that there is uh, an orifice that can you know, lead to your brain. Uh, number nine, deep abdominal injury. Right? That now has opened an orifice into your stomach. Right? Uh, and number 10, pores. Right? So pores we don't normally think as a passage of entry, but it does, your body does absorb and you do benefit from pores. Right? Anybody, I mean, if you use Icy Hot or Vicks, you'll understand that. There's an internal benefit that takes place and it comes through the skin and the effect is felt inside the body. So this is, remember, this list is not valid passages of entry. We're going to go into that later on. Uh, but this is just passage of entry in general. Valid cavity. 
According to the jurists, uh, if it enters any of these three cavities in your body, your, null, your, your fast will be nullified if it's a valid substance and a valid passive entry. Right? Valid cavity is throat, stomach, and your large intestine. Okay? Throat, stomach, and your large intestine. If something makes it through, if valid substance comes to a valid passage of entry into one of these three, then your fast is nullified. Okay? So... Uh, this middle category will, uh, you know, uh, look into now. These are not all of these are valid passages. There are there is a condition for something to be a valid passage. The criteria is that it is linked to a cavity of consequence, meaning a valid cavity. So, out of that list of ten, only four of these qualify as a valid passage of entry because they are directly linked to a valid cavity. Valid cavity being the three, throat, stomach, and intestine, large intestine. So the mouth, we know that's directly connected to the throat. So if anything goes through your mouth, that's a valid passage, and it makes it to the throat, stomach, and large intestine eventually. Nose as well, because your nose eventually is connected to your what? Your throat. Right? So it's connected to your throat. Throat is a valid cavity. Right? So anything enters down your nose, it also breaks the fast. Anus as well because it's connected to your rectum, which is connected to your, uh, your large intestine. Uh, deep abdominal injury as well. It is connected. It, it potentially could be leading to your stomach. Right? Um, a lot of these were taken out. Uh, so let's look at the ones that were taken out. Ears. Ears is not considered connected to any of those patches directly. Yes, if you have a perforated eardrum, it could be connected to your throat. But otherwise, a normal person's ear is not connected to any of these passages directly. Right? Um, eyes as well. Eyes, this is where a lot of people don't really understand it because they're going to say, well, um, if I use surma, a lot of the times I could, face, I could taste it in my throat. So there is a duct called the lacrimal duct, the tear duct, which is connected from the eye to the throat. But the reason jurists don't consider this a valid passage of entry is because it's extremely minimal like the pores. Right? Um, and Rasulullah himself did not consider this a valid passage of entry, which is why he allowed people to apply surma even in the state of fasting. So we have textual evidence Rasulullah did not consider this a valid passage, uh, most probably because it was negligible, the amount, just like how pores are. Pores are, there are passages, but they're extremely uh, minuscule, which is why they are dismissed. Um, another contention is the female private part. So Early jurists did consider this. However, modern medical research does uh, reveal that there's no actual direct link where something can make it up into the stomach or the large intestine through the private part. Same thing for urinal passage. Um, anus is qualified. Uh, deep head injury as well, also not included. Uh, pores is not included because it is a negligible uh, amount. All right. So the equation is what? Valid substance plus valid passage into a valid cavity equals a nullified fast. Okay, um, and now once so one thing to note here is there the absolved states. Right, absolved states is unavoidable substance. I mentioned that 
right? If it's just in the atmosphere and you can't avoid it. Uh, small article of food in the mouth since before Fajr, right? So sometimes you had something stuck in between your teeth since before Suhoor. After Suhoor, uh, you know, it's still stuck in your mouth. As long as you don't take it out, right? And if it's extremely small, smaller than a chickpea and you swallow it, then it's fine. It's uh, absolved. Forgetfulness. If you forgot that you were fasting. Not if you knew you were fasting, but it went down by mistake. Right? If you completely forgot that you were fasting, then that is an absolved state. So it doesn't really matter. If any of these conditions are found, it will not break your fast. Uh, nullification of the fast of Ramadan may necessitate qada, one day uh, of a makeup fast, or potentially a kafara, uh, which is 60 consecutive days. That will depend on how the fast broke. Uh, these are some nullifiers. Right, so deliberate consumption. Intentionally, you consumed food, uh, medicine, or anything like, or drink. You have to do qada and kafara. Right, so one day and sixty day, sixty consecutive days. So sixty-one days. Uh, sexual intercourse. Right, so qada and kafara. Smoking qada and kafara. Uh, the rest of these, using nose sprays. Right, it's coming through your nose. So we have it. Discernible body going through a a orifice of consequence, and then uh, reaching a, uh, a cavity of consequence. Enema goes through the rectum, so it's also going to nullify the fast. Uh, gastroscopy, gastroscopy is goes through your throat, an upper gastroscopy, but the thing that nullifies it is not really the instrument, but a lot of the time the anesthetic they put. Right? So that is something that stays and then makes it inside. So that's really what ends up destroying uh, the fast. Swallowing blood from gingivitis. This happens to a lot of people where they have gingivitis and then their, their, uh, you know, their gums leak blood. And then a lot of the times it's mixing with their saliva and they're constantly swallowing it during the day. So if the, the blood is more than the saliva, and that's a lot of the times when you spit, you can see what color is overpowering, right? If the blood is more, your fast has been nullified, right? But not a kafara, you have to make up with a qada. Uh, induced ejaculation means uh, uh, having seminal fluid ejaculated, physically induced, right? Not if it was visually or through some sort of thought, but physically you did it. Obviously, there's one that's an absolute sin, masturbation. Uh, but sometimes people do this for medical treatments, right? Because maybe there, there's a, you know, a sperm exam or a eye in, in vitro fertilization. Uh, obviously, that's a whole completely different issue. But even if they're doing it for those things, because it's induced, it will break your fast. Commencement of menstrual or postnatal bleeding, right? So for women, if their height begins in the middle of the day, then the fast is broken. They have to make that one up. Uh, using asthma inhalers, the FIC Academy has, American FIC Academy has a very detailed paper on this. You can check on their website. Uh, vomiting a mouthful deliberately, right? You intentionally induce vomit and it's a mouthful or more, then your fast will break. These are some non-nullifiers. So a lot of people think these are nullifiers, but they actually don't nullify your fast, right? Vomiting unintentionally. Right? will not un nullify your fast irrespective of how much. Right? Vomiting less than a mouthful intentionally. So induce vomit, but it's less than a mouthful. Right? More than a mouthful, we already mentioned in the previous one. Nocturnal emission, a wet dream, even though it's ejaculation, but it's not physically induced, so it will not break the fast. Skin creams, ointments, Vicks, Right? Although your body does benefit from it and you do feel the benefit internally, like for example, icy hot or whatever, uh, but because it didn't enter through one of the valid points of entry, it's not going to break the fast. Uh, forgetful consumption. 
Okay, that we already mentioned. Tasting food, it won't break the fast, but it will be disliked. Swallowing one's own saliva, this will not break your fast. Right? Ear drops, eye drops, we mentioned that. Uh, surma as well, under the discussion of eyes. Using a miswak, this is something that's actually encouraged by Rasulullah. Chapstick, lip balm, gloss, right? None of these things are necessarily going in, so they won't break the fast. Injections, right? So injections are of different types. So you have intravenous injections, which is into the vein. You have uh, subcutaneous injections, which is, uh, for example, insulin injection, which is into a layer of fat, right? Uh, into the layer of fat underneath your skin. That will also not break your fast. Uh, then you have intradermal injections, which is onto the layer of skin. That will also not break your fast because it's not making it to a, uh, a, a cavity of consequence. Okay, injections, blood tests, uh, ultrasound tests. Uh, uh, the one I skipped is insulin pumps. This is also a common question. Uh, insulin pumps, some of them are external, but some of these uh, CGMs, continuous glucose monitoring devices, some of them, there's a needle that you have to inject, right? And a lot of the times it's in the lower abdomen. Uh, but it's something, if I'm not mistaken, it's intradermal. So it, it just into the skin. It doesn't actually go into the stomach, right? So it won't break the fast. Ultrasound test, cupping, uh, obviously losing that much blood could jeopardize the fast, uh, but it won't break it. Uh, urinary catheter, uh, IV. IV has become a little bit of a contentious issue because unfortunately what some people are trying to do nowadays is they're trying to take vitamins through an IV so they do not feel weak during the fast. Right? So they're taking uh, you know, uh, electrolytes and things like that just so the fast doesn't affect them. That will definitely be considered at least makruh. It won't break the fast technically because the vein is not considered an orifice of, uh, uh, sorry, a cavity of consequence. Uh, but this is something that is becoming more and more problematic uh, as of recent times. Uh, a vaginal exam, uh, we mentioned that a CPAP uh, without humidifier, right? So a continuous positive airway pressure machine, which is used for a lot of people that have snoring issues. Uh, so if it's with it, without a humidifier, it's just oxygen, so it's okay. But if it's with a humidifier, which is deliberate, uh, what's it called, mist and vapor, then that will break your fast, though. Uh, incense, which is just, you know, uh, what's it called, in the air, then it's fine. You can't go to incense and deliberately inhale it, right? But if it's around, then that's fine. Okay, so some FAQs here. Can I fast even though I didn't partake of suhoor? Yes. Uh, what is the ruling for a pregnant or breastfeeding mother? Does she have to fast? So if she fears that it's going to weaken her, then she doesn't have to fast at that time. She can make it up later. From what time should I start fasting? So this is the whole common debate, 15 degrees, 18 degrees, what am I supposed to do? So 18 degrees is earlier, and 18 degrees is the safer opinion, and it is the more popular opinion. Uh, so that is the earlier time uh, for Fajr. So that is the time we should adopt. Uh, can I use perfume sprays while fasting? Yes, you can use it, but the problem is you should try to make sure you don't spray it and then inhale it in front of you. If you put it on yourself, then fine, but you shouldn't try to inhale that mist because that could potentially break it. Can I wear orthodontic retainers? Yes. What do I do if due to travel my Ramadan becomes 28 or 31 days? Right, this happens for somebody that started in one place, for example in the east, where their Ramadan was earlier, and they were actually, he was on the 30th day there, and then when he came back to the west, they're also fulfilling 30 days, but because they started one day later, his Ramadan actually becomes 31 days. 
right? Or vice versa, maybe he started later, those guys in the East are done, his Ramadan becomes 28 days, right? Because of him traveling. So the principle is, wherever you are, you do Eid with them. If it ends up being 28 days, make up one day later. If it becomes 31 days, then no problem, right? You're, at least your Ramadan is done. Can I steam my face while fasting? Uh, obviously, deliberately inhaling steam is going to break your fast. Uh, but technically, I don't know what's the purpose behind it, if it's just for your acne or whatever. If you close your nose and you close your mouth and make sure nothing gets in, technically it works, but it's just ridiculous to do it while you're fasting. Right, can, I can I just make one intention on the first day uh, for the entire month? Right? So according to the Hanafi Madhab, this is not allowed. According to Malikis, they do allow it, that you can just do it in the beginning, and it'll cover the entire month. What if someone fell unconscious momentarily? So in the middle of the fast, he fell unconscious, and then it was iftar time, and after iftar time, he woke up. So since he started the fast with intention, and while he was unconscious, nothing went in his body, his fast is technically complete. Uh, how many kafarat do I have to complete for multiple broken fasts? So some people have broken intentional, intentionally, they've broken fast for years, right? Um, so how, do they have to do 60 days for every single one of those? So uh, there are some differences of opinion that as long as it's all in one Ramadan, you just have to do one kafara. But there is another opinion, and that is a more favorable, favorable opinion, and fatwa is also given on it, that you just have to do one kafara for all of them, okay? And if you have already done the kafara for them, and then after that you did it again, then you have to do another kafara. So as long as you have not done kafara for it already, one kafara will suffice for everything of the past, okay? Uh, but obviously the qadas you still have to do though. Those are separate. But 160 day will suffice. What if I misread the time? For example, I misread the suhoor time or the uh, iftar time. Regardless, if you misread it and you went past the suhoor time or you uh, went, uh, what's it called? You did the iftar earlier, then regardless, your fast would be considered invalid and you would have to do uh, qada for that fast. Uh, I don't know how much time there is for Q&As. If somebody has sent anything, we can check. Um, let me just okay. Uh, one question here: Is it allowed for men to wear surma? Yes. Uh, can the niyyah be made for the first Ramadan? I already answered this one. Uh, according to Hanafis, no. Yeah. How many times do I spit out water after rinsing mouth uh, during wudu? Um, the leftover water that's in your mouth after wudu, that is negligible, right? So you don't have to make it a point to continuously spit it out until your mouth is completely dry. That's overlooked, okay? Um, should a woman break her fast if she gets her period? Um, it's, not a it's not a matter of should, it will automatically break. Um, Can you dilate your eyes at the doctor during the fast? I don't see an issue with it because it doesn't really matter what enters your eyes. Um, it's not going to break your fast. 
Can I chew gum unflavored while fasting? Uh, it helps me with acid reflux symptoms. Um, you can chew it, but as we mentioned, it doesn't matter whether it has flavor or not, it will be makru. So even if it's plastic, plastic doesn't have flavor, but it will be considered makru. If it's for medical reasons, then uh, fine, but it will still be considered makru nonetheless. Um, what acts of intimacy are allowed besides hand-holding? Well, anything that does not lead to intercourse. Right? So even kissing is allowed as long as there's no exchange of saliva, obviously, um, and as long as it does not lead to uh, sexual, actual sexual act. Can one cut their hair or nails while fasting? I've heard this question so many times before. I don't really understand where this idea comes from that you can't. Uh, you can, uh, but uh, it's really strange because it seems to be very common in our societies. How long, or can I take a long shower during a fast? Yes. Um, this is one thing that's also very common. People take showers and then hot showers and there's a lot of vapor, right? So that's an unavoidable circumstance. It's not like you can take a shower and then dodge the vapor. I mean, chances are when you open the door and that steam comes out of the house, or out of the, that bathroom, right, it becomes unavoidable for everyone. Right? So that is overlooked because, yeah, substance, but at the end of the day, it's unavoidable. Okay. Uh, if there's one hour left and you got your period, does it still count or no? It doesn't matter if there was one second left. If you get on your period before the time uh, of fasting is over, then that has to be made up. Okay. Can I give fidya for being unable to fast in pregnancy? No. Fidya, only if you don't have the hope to ever be able to fast. A pregnant woman, I mean, generally, during her pregnancy, she may not be able to, and maybe during breastfeeding, but eventually in the future, there is hope she will have the strength later on. So she shouldn't give fidya at that time. There is still hope for her to have the strength to fast. Um, If a person is not a traveler when true dawn starts, but becomes a traveler later in the day before sunset, uh, can he break his fast? Under normal circumstances, no. If there's something extreme that happens to him that, you know, now he becomes, you know, sick or, for example, extremely thirsty and, and fears his health, then sure. But he's obligated to fulfill the fast if he was not a traveler at the time of uh, Subh Sadiq. What is the fitra rate this year? I mentioned uh, $7 is the minimum. Uh, it's $7, uh, $14, $30, and $44. Right, so those are the four. The infographic will be released uh, soon, inshallah. Um, some of these questions are not related to fasting at all, so I'm not going to... Uh, I'm not going to answer those. Um, other questions about other matters of the fast or some of those that um, are not really relevant to this discussion, uh, you can still ask them at uh, masjidds.org forward slash question. Uh, you could submit your questions there, um, and then, uh, inshallah, we'll try to get to those. Jazakumullah khairan. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh.
Allahu Akbar Allahu Akbar Allah 